The following recording is from the Parramatta Christian Church pulpit series. These sermons are freely available at pcc.org.au. you've not been a part of the series, I'm just going to give you a quick kind of update, catch up. We've been looking at the engagement of faith and work, and we've called the series Working with God, and we are into our fourth week this week. And so in week one, we talked about the design of work, and we looked at how when God created work in Genesis, it had the idea of worship and partnership, and how God um, blessed work and honored work, but then work was corrupted in Genesis chapter 3. And then out of that flowed these two eyes that we talked about, idolatry on the one extreme, where we worship our work, and idleness on the other extreme, where we kind of give in to the hardness of work and the difficulty of work and the frustration of work, and we want to bludge and kind of take it easy. And then two weeks ago, Lewis looked at the dignity of work, and he talked about how all good work was equally good, and it, it doesn't matter what you do, if, if it's a, a good work that you're doing, then it honors God, and so we should kind of break down this division between what's sacred and secular, and, and not have this class distinction where some jobs are considered by us to be more honorable or more worthy of respect uh, because they pay more or have greater prestige, but from God's point of view, that all work is, is equal, and that we should show appreciation for people who do all kinds of work. Uh, the people who clean tables and collect our garbage and, and the doctors that we go to see and the plumbers that fix our sinks and, and whatever it might be, the teachers that teach our kids, that we show appreciation. And even as a church, we honor the people that do things behind the scenes when we see them, the people who set up things and, and serve us coffee and tea and the people that teach kids and, and all of that, that we have that culture that recognizes the dignity of all work, even voluntary work. And then last week, we had Pranitha with us, and she challenged us to think about the fact that God has placed all of us in our own mission field to be agents of change, because God has changed us and transformed us, and we're called to be agents of transformation, where we bring something of the grace of God and the Spirit of God and the love of God into wherever God has placed us. And so this week, uh, I want to kind of engage with some practical things, and we're going to look next week at some really practical things as well. But this week, I want to engage with the, the concept of what happens when you're in a workplace that's a really difficult workplace. And we've heard you know, a couple of people sharing their stories with us over the last couple of weeks of how hard it is in their workplace, how frustrating it is, you know, how um, toxic sometimes work environments can be and how they want to get out. And, and so I, I wanted to kind of speak into that a little bit, not to say to you, you've got to suck it up and just kind of stay because there might be a time for you to leave but in the midst of that, as you're trying to work out what God is saying and what God wants you to do, how should you be living in that kind of space? And so, um, this week I've entitled my message, Working for the Lord, because we want to look at a passage, and it's in Ephesians chapter 6, and if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there, and we're going to read a few verses, and then the parallel kind of passage in Colossians 3, we're going to refer to that as well. But you know, I've not always worked in a church. Um, I have worked in a church environment a long time, and I've really enjoyed that. And even in churches sometimes, it's not always easy. Um, and it can be very hard going and frustrating and challenging in lots of different ways. But before I came to work in a church, I worked in an environment um, that was very, very difficult. Um, and me and my boss, it was a small organization, there was only three people on staff, so I worked very closely with my immediate supervisor, and we had a management committee as well that I didn't really see very often. And 
him and I had very different ideological views on life. Um, he knew I was a Christian, and he was the polar opposite of that, and uh, kind of made it his personal ambition to test my faith to see if it was genuine. Um, and so we had several kind of discussions about faith, and, and uh, you know, he, as time went, our relationship kind of really eroded and, and fell apart, and he started lying about me to the management committee and making all kinds of false accusations, and, you know, it was just really messy and nasty, and, and through that time, I had to really kind of trust God because I really felt God wanted me there, and I'm like, God, really, you know, I should just get out. Um, and, you know, through a whole series of events, uh, the management committee came to find out the truth uh, and realize what was really going on, and he ended up getting dismissed, and, uh, and the next person that came into that um, position was a, a Christian, um, and it was a, a person who was, you know, had been to a Bible college in, in Morling and was a Baptist person, and I'm like, wow, this is, who knew? You know, if I'd kind of bailed and kind of quit, I would have never had this different experience of working here, you know, with a, with a Christian manager, and I know that might not be everyone's scenario and how it kind of plays out, but there are seasons where we go through where work can be really tough, and our bosses can kind of ride us and make it really, really difficult. And my question is, how do we as Christians kind of live with that? And how do we work in that environment? How do we kind of reflect Jesus in that? And so Ephesians 6, Paul has a lot to tell us here. And I'll just read verses 5 to 9, and then we'll flip over to Colossians and have a look at what he says there. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. And with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each of you for whatever good you do, whether you are a slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way, do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Now flip across to Colossians chapter 3, where Paul kind of uh, articulates almost exactly the same things to this church, but there are some subtle differences. Verses 22 and following, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, in everything, and do it not only when their eyes on you and to curry their favor, I love that word, curry, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Those who do wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Father, we just pray that your Holy Spirit will come and speak into our hearts this morning, that your word will encourage us, inspire us, and guide us as we engage with this question this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing I want you to see here is that Paul is talking to slaves. Now, I know that some of our work environments can be pretty tough, pretty hard, but really none of us would 
qualify as being slaves. Now, we know that slavery is a very real part of our world. Pranitha was talking about it last week, and that there are many people who do work in rice mills and cotton mills and on cocoa plantations and all of that who are literally slaves today. Now, in the Greco-Roman world, slavery was a little bit different to how we understand slavery from the 18th and 19th century. And now, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail as to those differences, um, other than to say that slavery was kind of a common practice in this day and age. In the Roman Empire, it's been ex- estimated that there was about 60 million slaves. It was their workforce. The, it, it, there were two categories of people. Either you were a slave or you weren't, or you were a slave owner. That was pretty much how life was. And because people have wrestled with, well, why doesn't Paul call these people to abandon slavery? And the reason for that is it was just a fabric of their society. It was an institution. And so, uh, one of the things that we, we learned from history is that the Romans had these laws that pretty much gave masters the power over their slaves to do whatever they wanted with them, to treat them any way they wanted, and that's very similar to how we understand slavery today. They were no more than possessions, really, that had no rights. And what's interesting in the Roman Empire is that slaves weren't just domestic servants, and they weren't just manual laborers. They were doctors who were in slavery. They were educated people who were slaves. They were teachers. They were administrators who were also part of the slavery system. And so, uh, I think we've been talking about Aristotle and some of his views. Was that you mentioned Aristotle? Well, again, we talked about how he's got some interesting ideas about work. Well, he had some interesting ideas about slaves as well. He didn't have much time for them. In fact, Aristotle couldn't ever understand how you could ever be friends with a slave. And he said that because a slave is really a tool. Now, not as we understand a tool, he meant like a, 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 like a hammer or a chisel or a saw, and just as a tool is an inanimate slave. So he said there's no difference between a hammer and a slave. They're, they're the same. Wow. And then, you know, when he was, uh, you know, kind of writing more about it, he kind of was willing to make a little bit of a concession. And he said, well, actually, you know, a slave is, I guess you could say, a tool with a soul. So I'll, I'll give you that much, you know, that they've got a soul, but they're, they're still an inanimate object. And that's the perception that people had. So, no matter how bad your work situation is, I don't think we would say that we were slaves. Now, that's really important for us to hold on to as we engage with what Paul says here, because it is quite staggering in that context. So, what does Paul say to these slaves? Well, the first thing he says, the command that he gives them in Ephesians is obey. Slaves, obey your earthly masters. Now, let me say this. That wasn't radical. That was what they were doing already. So, for Paul to say to a whole bunch of slaves, obey your masters, they're going, yeah, Paul, what? Like, we do that. Because if we didn't, we'd be killed. What are you saying? That's not the new bit. That's not really the command. It's how Paul tells them to obey. And he says to them, I want you now as Christian slaves to have a different attitude about how you serve. This is what is profound. Because he says to them, I want you to obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. Now, again, the word that's used there, fear, is not a a cowardly, dreadful fear of a master who's going to punish you, but has the idea of more honor and more respect. So he's telling slaves who are probably being beaten by their masters, I want you to respect them. I want you to honor them. I want you to treat them with reverence. I want you to obey them, but I want you to do it with a different attitude. Wow. But we'll, we'll see how Paul can argue this with them, because he says that it's really not about the slaves. 
Because he says, in, in, when we go to chapter 5, verse 21, Paul begins this whole section with this word that a lot of people in contemporary society don't really like, and he says, submit. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's what he's referring back to. And so Paul can ask these slaves, I want you to obey your masters, and I want you to treat them with respect and honor and reverence out of reverence for Christ, really. So he wants them to have a respectful attitude. And another thing that he says to them, which is mind-blowing, is I want you to have a sincere heart. A sincere heart. In other words, he says, "Don't, don't trick your masters. Don't con them. Don't work hard when they're watching you. Don't give them eye service. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't pretend to just do your hard yakker and sweat when they're looking at you. And when they're not looking at you, then you're a bludger. He says, no, don't do that. Do your fair share of work. Do your hard days of work, whether they're looking at you or not. Don't be a hypocrite. Be sincere in your heart. Imagine telling a slave to do that. In the UK, as only the British could do, they invented this thing called spray-on mud. I don't know if you've heard of it. Spray-on mud. It was designed for people who had four-wheel drives but never got out of the country. (laughs) It's true. And apparently sales were skyrocketing. People would buy this stuff and spray it on their four-wheel drives to make it look like they'd been fishing or hunting or living the adventurous life, but never actually leaving the city. And they'd even gone as far as taking out all the debris and the little rocks so it didn't damage the paintwork on your Range Rover. And Paul is saying, don't be like that. Don't do things to look good when your boss's eye is on you or to curry their favor or to make it about a personal win for you. Don't work hard just to get something from your boss. Don't work hard just when they're looking at you, but have a sincere heart. And then he goes on even more staggeringly in verse verse 7. He says, serve wholeheartedly. Notice the number of times Paul is talking about the heart. He's talking about their attitude as slaves. And he says, serve wholeheartedly. And that word carries the idea of not being divided in your heart. And then he goes on to say, I want you to serve willingly. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, doing the will of God from your heart, he says. In other words, he says, slaves, I don't want you to have a grudging attitude. I don't want you to have a reluctant spirit. I want you, in fact, to have a generous, willing heart as you serve your master. Think about that. Paul is telling people who are living under and working under sometimes really brutal and difficult and hard masters that they were supposed to have a different attitude, a new attitude in how they served. So this is where now we need to understand how Paul can make this audacious request of these people. Because he says, not only do I want you to have a new attitude, I want to tell you why this is important. He says, because you have a new master. You have a new master. And he says, if you don't get that, then this makes no sense at all. But when you understand that you have a new master, everything changes. In every verse here, Paul mentions Jesus. Notice what he says. Verse 5, that you would obey Christ. Verse 6, you are slaves of Christ. Verse 7, you are serving the Lord. Verse 8, that the Lord will reward. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying, you know what? You are not to have an attitude of respect. You are not to have an attitude of devotion and willingness. You're not to have an attitude of sincerity because your earthly master deserves it. 
That's not what he's saying. He's saying, he's not saying that you're supposed to behave this way because your master is worthy of respect. He's not saying you're not supposed to do this because your master is a good guy and he looks after you and he takes care of you. He's not saying that. He's saying you're supposed to do this because you have a new master. You have a new master, and that's Jesus. And this new master, this king, was also a slave. And he left his glory. He left his throne. And he came down and he became a servant, a slave. Same word, doulos. And he washed your feet. But more than that, he went to the cross. He died in your place to do what? To redeem you, to rescue you, to liberate you from sin, from slavery, and from the fear of death. And so Paul says, that's why you do this, because you are really doing it for him. You are serving Him. It's the Lord that you serve. It's the Lord that you're obeying because you're a slave of Christ. This is the, the bit that we were talking about you know, several times at PCC, this upside-down aspect of the gospel where the king becomes a slave. And Paul says, that's how you can do this. As you go into your workplace, that you, you, know, you see that manager and he's coming at you, and Paul says, look beyond that and see the cross and see Jesus because that's who you're really serving. There's a story in uh, Corrie Ten Boom's uh, autobiography, and as you know, she was a, a Jewish uh, Christian who was living in Nazi Germany and was in a concentration camp for many years. And she recalls this one time when on, on an inspection, she was made, her and her sister Betsy were made to take off all their clothes and stand naked in, in this inspection. And she was standing there feeling just so ashamed and embarrassed and, and violated and, and, and degraded. And in that moment, she said she remembered that when Jesus was crucified, he was stripped naked too. And she turns to her sister and she says to Betsy, Betsy, they took his clothes too. They took his clothes too. And Betsy said, oh my, you're right. And I never thanked him for it. See, you see, that's it. That's what Paul's getting at. Yeah, look, none of us would think that we're in a concentration camp. But sometimes our workplace can feel like that. And we feel exposed and ashamed and humiliated and violated and, and all of those things. And, and Paul says, you can serve with respect and honor because you're serving your heavenly master. You're, you're serving Jesus. You're serving the king who became the slave. You, you're serving the one who's rescued you and redeemed you. And you are to honor him. And, you're to, and out of reverence for him, you show respect to your boss. Out of reverence for him, because you're a slave of Christ, you work hard. Not just because your boss is looking at you, because your heavenly father sees you. And he knows. So a new attitude, Paul says. And then he wants them because they have a new master, and they're supposed to have a new attitude. He wants them to get a new perspective on their work. And so, in, in these passages, he kind of reminds them over and over again of the new reality that they have in Christ, the new reality of who they are, their identity in Christ, so that when they go into their workplaces, as hostile and as difficult and as painful as it might be, they will go in there with a different perspective. Notice what he says. Verse 8, because you know, he says. So this is obviously something that had been taught over and over again in the church. And, and th this was familiar to them. Because you know that the Lord will reward you for whatever good you do. You do. And so Paul says, keep this perspective. 
doesn't matter what your boss does. doesn't matter how your company screws you over. doesn't matter that you got passed up for that promotion. doesn't matter that you work your, your heart out for that organization, and, and nobody sees, and nobody knows, and you're falsely accused, and sometimes, you know, people are riding you when you are doing the right thing, and you're accused and blamed for things you didn't even do. None of that matters. Why? Because Jesus sees because he's your heavenly master. He is really your master. And you know what? And he will reward you. He will reward you for the good that you do. For the good that you do. So, friend, Christian, in your workplace, as you go through life, and it is tough, and it is hard, and you don't know if God wants you there or He wants you out, or what God's, while you're trying to work all that out, remind yourself of this new perspective. The Lord knows. And he will reward the good that I do. And Paul goes on to give them other things. He says in the, at the end of this verse, whether you are slave or free. Whether you are slave or free. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says, if you were a slave, stay a slave. But if you can work towards getting your freedom, that's great too. And if you're a free person, you should consider yourself a slave. And that's what he's saying. Because we have a new master, everything is changed. Everything is, this is the inside out part of the gospel, where we talked about how the inner transformation results in outward behavior. It starts on the inside. It's as you know, you know what? Now that I follow Jesus, I'm his slave. I'm his slave, and, and I have a heavenly master who sees me. And so I work diligently and faithfully and hard, not because my boss is looking at me, because my boss is watching me. Because I'm, I'm his servant, and I'm always in his eye. And he always knows. And it's this idea that if I, if I feel like I'm a slave, if I feel, feel like I'm, I'm bound, to remind myself, but Jesus has set me free. Jesus has released me. I am not a slave anymore. In Christ, I am free, and I am free indeed. I have been released from the burden of sin and slavery to death, and so I can live out of that no matter what my boss does, no matter what my company does, no matter how I'm treated. They cannot crush this part of me on the inside that knows who I am in Christ. They can make my life hell. They can, you know, rob me of promotions and violate my rights even, but they can't change who I am in Christ. I am a slave of Christ, a free man in Christ, because the Son has set me free. The last thing that Paul reminds them of is that our master is our boss's master too. Verse 9. He says, you know what? Don't ever forget that, that Jesus Christ is the master of all. He's the Lord of all. He's the, he's the boss of your boss. He's the Lord of your company. And you might not get your fair share in this life, and they might get away with stuff, but they're not going to get away with stuff forever. In Colossians, Paul says that for every wrongdoing, they're going to be held accountable. And so in this life, as you go through life, yes, there might be things that you'll never see the fulfillment of, and, and things that you are, you know, you'll never get that are rightful yours, but Paul reminds us of a heavenly master and having a heavenly perspective that says, it doesn't end here. This is not where the story ends. And because I am linked to Christ, I am different. Because I'm linked to Christ, my life is different. Because Christ is my master and I'm a slave of Christ, everything has changed. And so my life will be different because I am His and He is mine. There was a, a story told about a, a CEO of a big American uh, pharmaceutical company. And he, you want to jump up? Him and his wife were going on a, on a road trip on an interstate highway. And he noticed that their petrol was running low. 
And so he pulled off the highway into a, what the American, Americans call a gas station. We call them servos. Petrol station, he pulled in. And he asked, the, you know, it was a rundown service station, and there was one attendant there, and he asked the guy to fill up his tank and, and check the oil. And, you know, they'd been driving for a while, so he, he thought he'd just go around the back and just stretch his legs and, you know, do some stretches. As he, he just went around the back, and when he came back around, he saw his wife having this animated conversation with this service attendant guy. And he finished up, and as he got in the car and they kind of drove off, he said to his wife, do, do you know that guy? And his, his wife said, yeah, yeah, actually, I went to high school with him, and we dated for about a year, and, you know... And he's like, wow, then you must be really glad that I came along and kind of rescued you. Otherwise, you'd be married to a gas attendant, you know, and not married to a CEO. And she kind of turns to him, to, to him and said, dear, if I married him, he'd be the CEO and you'd be the gas attendant. <laughs> That's the thing, right? It's who we're married to. Makes all the difference. But just in the preceding section, Paul reminds his Christians who they were married to. They're the bride of Christ. They're married to Jesus. And that changes everything. Because He makes us something. He makes us something different. And no boss and no company can ever, ever change that. Ever change that. They can rob you of your dignity. Your pride might get hurt. They might rob you of your entitlements. They might not provide you job security. They might, you know, accuse you of things and harass you. And whatever the thing is that you're facing, but what they can't ever, ever touch is who you are in Christ. And Paul says, when you get that, when you have that perspective that you're married to the king of the universe, he's your father. He cares for you. He loves you. He knows that He will make all things right, whether it's in this life or when He comes again to establish His rule on the earth. That's how we radiate Jesus in a difficult workplace. Because our culture is not used to people treating their bosses with respect, especially Australian culture. That's like, what? what? Why wouldn't you do that? We, 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 we cut people at the knees, right? We bring them down to our size. That's what we do. Not that it ever happens in our work environment, at church, I'm going to say. But that's what we do. And if we go in there and we start having an attitude of respect and an attitude of doing hard work and good work, even when our boss's eye is not on us. Wow. Wow. That's radical. That's countercultural. And when we go in there and we do our work willingly, not grudgingly, not uh, reluctantly, but because we have a sense that, you know, I'm serving Jesus here. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. I'm serving Jesus. And we take that to our workplace and we bring that attitude. That's what will confuse our colleagues. They just won't get that. And when we have this disposition that we trust Jesus to work it all out, yeah, we speak out for injustice and we stand for what's right and we do all of those things. But at the end of the day, we don't put our confidence in us. We put our confidence in the, in the heavenly master who sees all, who knows all, and will make all things right. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes and just take a moment to just reflect on that. Jesus.
And as I was thinking about how to conclude this message in prayer, I, I know that some of you are really wrestling at work. And it's really difficult and it's really hard. And I would like to just pray for people this morning. You know, you don't have to come forward, but if you kind of lift up your hand, then we'll just pray together for you. Because I believe that in the midst of that hardness and challenge, that for some of you, God will call you out and open a, a door for you to do that. But for others, it might mean staying for a little while. And maybe things will get better and change for the better, or maybe they won't. But I believe God is calling you to be different in that workplace. And that's not going to be easy. That's going to be hard. There'll be plenty of days when you want to quit, you want to throw in the towel, you want to spit the dummy. Plenty of times where you go, what am I doing here? But I believe in that hardship, God is going to do a work in you and refine you and change you and give you a fresh revelation of Jesus as you're serving Him. And as you do that and as you hold on to that, you begin to radiate His love and His grace in that place. And if that's where you're at, facing real hardship, I just invite you to slip your hand up and I'll just pray for you and lift you up in prayer. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. Father, I just pray for my brothers and sisters who are just going through such difficult and challenging work environments. Father, you know their situation inside out, back and forth. You see every day, every minute, every moment they spend in their workplace and what they endure the hardships they face. And Lord, I pray that you'll give them wisdom. I pray that you'll give them your grace. Father, that you would make them strong on the inside. And Father, if you call them to leave, then speak to them clearly and give them clear direction about that. And if you call them to stay, Lord, give them the grace to endure hardship. Father, to radiate Jesus, to make his love and his light known. Lord, to honor you and to serve you and to entrust their lives, their provision and their future into your hands. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't we stand? We're going to sing this song that we sang before and just worship Jesus. It's all about Him. I invite you to get your eyes on Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Reaches to the heaven. Thank you, Lord. Your faithfulness stretches to the sky. Let's sing it, and I will lift. I will lift my high 
want to worship you, Jesus. You're our king. You're our master.